Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Now, uh, you're in Seattle doing some Seattle stuff. How are things looking out there NHL-wise? Pretty good? People psyched? Pretty good. Sushi situation is great. People are psyched. That's not overstated. That's exciting to hear. Has anyone come up to you on the street and uh, and talked about the bulbous backsides of NHL players after you went viral <laughs> with your with your with your can NHL players find pants that fit story last week? You know what? They haven't, but they did speak to me online, and I'm so glad they did. And you know what? I have some theories of why so many people resonated with that story. I think it's just relatable. It wasn't just hockey players that have a hard time finding pants. It turned out to be athletes in all sports, power lifters and volleyball players, but a lot of just regular humans too. A lot of women reached out to me and I think hit on something is that clothes just aren't fit for the modern body and a lot of us have anxiety in dressing rooms. So it was kind of nice hearing hockey players who are so devoid of personality sometimes open up about it. Yeah. As a guy with a uh, hockey writer, uh, but... Um... And by that, I mean, you know, I don't work out and I eat Taco Bell. Uh, I, too, like the answer that I want to say. Was it McAvoy who talked about the stretchy pants uh, that, that, uh, that, that you know, changed his life? I think it was maybe Charlie McAvoy who talked about that. Charlie McAvoy's heroic anecdote was that he just wore sweatpants every single day in college and used to fly <laughs> husky pants when he was a child. Well, I, the stretchy pants from Uniqlo have been my boon. I, I find mm-hmm. those to be really great. Um, but it was a very educational and awesome story, and uh, and the struggle is real. And uh, who was the, who was the one who had the thing with the the, the clerk at the store? Um, Connor Murphy gave the most Canadian anecdote ever. Even though I'm pretty sure in international competitions he plays for USA, it's a dual option. But he went to Bloomingdale's recently and said, um, you know, he tried on ten pairs of pants and none of them fit. But the sales girl was just so nice, and he felt so guilty. He bought one anyway because he had guilt that he wasted her time, even though he knew he was going to return them. I mean, that is that is by far the most nice Canadian boy, nice hockey boy thing that I think I've ever witnessed. All right. Coming up on ESPN and Nice, we're going to talk about other nice hockey boys, maybe some bad Aww. ones as well. We have Marty Biron on to talk about the Buffalo Sabres and their plight and whether or not Jeff Skinner is going to continue on with the Sabres. And we have Mark Stahl on to talk about the New York Hockey Rangers and also Henrik Lundqvist and all the things that you'd expect Mark Stahl to talk about. Uh, all that and more coming up in ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about butts and hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, the clothing correspondent for NHL ESPN coverage. Senior butt analyst. No. Uh, the Western Conference wildcard race is nuts. Absolutely nuts. As we do the podcast... Uh, we have four teams that are tied right now with 47 points in the Western Conference, uh, with, uh, Minnesota just a, a, a shade ahead of them because they have, have 45 games played as opposed to 46 for the Oilers, 46 for the Ducks, and 47 for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so nuts is the wild card race in the Western Conference that the St. Louis Blues have risen from the grave. 
they stuck their hand through the dirt like Carrie at the end of Carrie, and all of a sudden they're back in the playoff race, which is crazy. They have 44 points, so that's well within spitting distance of the uh, final wild card spot. Um, and even the Arizona Coyotes uh, are, are still in it too, obviously, with 43 points. Um, the Blackhawks have 41 and the Kings have 39, so mathematically they're still kind of kicking around. I don't think either of us think that those teams will be playoff contenders, nor should they be at this point. But what do you make of the wacky Western Conference wildcard race? the wild wild west it's kind of what we expected earlier in the year because we thought the teams were all going to be so dominant it's a little bit of a twist on that story because a lot of these teams have been a hot pile of garbage to begin the season and (laughs) have just figured it out now uh when it comes to the blues there's two things that i think are the biggest things driving their success one the reason they were so terrible early it was a lack of effort there was a lack of fight every night and they're starting to show that a bit more also, there's a guy like Vlad Tarasenko who had a historically low, like terrible shooting percentage. It was just so far off of what we expect of him. And now all of a sudden, hey, he's regressing to the mean. He's, he's starting to heat up. And, and once you, you get lucky like that, uh, you know, the bounces come in. But I look at a team like the Ducks, though, and that trade with Cogliano for Devin Shore was really interesting to me because it felt like the beginning of something. And you hear Bob Murray, and when he talked, he didn't sound like a guy who was going to go blow everything up. He wasn't going to try to trade one of his big three. And let's be honest, he really can't because of the trade restrictions that they have and the fact that none of them really wants to go. But you get the sense he wants to do something and he doesn't want to fire his coach, which he's made very clear right now. Yeah, and I thought that trade was a, a, a one that I love, by the way, because hmm. it's it's I don't love it from a logistics standpoint because I'm not sure if Cagliano is going to ultimately help the Stars uh, he might be in decline, but I love it from a declarative statement point of view for the Ducks, which is that Bob Murray takes a well-liked veteran player, a guy who plays every single game, unquestioned worth work ethic, been there since like 2011, uh, a guy that, that if you remember the Ducks, you know, grabbed torches for when he was suspended and his Ironman streak was broken. Like they love Cogliano. And he said, you know what? This is how bad you guys have been. I'm going to trade one of your boys. And get him out of town. And yeah, his, his ice time decreased and what have you. But still, making that move is such a smoke bomb toss into that locker room that I just, I love that move. I love that move from a guy who's trying to turn the season around and snap these guys out. It's, it's a, it's a, it's better than any, any tirade a coach could have. It's better than any benching. It's, it's such a, a, you know, alarm buzzer going off for that team. It's the kind of move I love to see made, um, by a struggling team. But will it, will it work? I don't know. I mean, the issue, like you mentioned, is the fact that, uh, John Gibson's carried the, the carcass of this team as far as it can go. 112 goals scored through 46 games is pathetic. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't, this trade and nothing changes the fact that Randy Carlisle is a bad coach and he's been a bad coach for this team. This team's possession numbers stink. Their offensive numbers stink. And, uh, and, and this guy should have been out of there uh, lickety split were it not for his, you know, relationship with Bob Murray, um, to the point where I'm sure this is going to be a change made in the off season. But everybody knew coming into the season that Carlisle, sh- you know, would be on a short leash, that he'd be one of the first coaches fired. And it's insane to me. That like five guys have lost their jobs before Randy Carlisle has based on how this team has played this year. That said, they're right on the wild card cusp. So who's to say if they finish in the wild card, maybe Carlisle comes back. Um, the team that's obviously also extraordinarily interesting in this mess are the uh, Edmonton Oilers. 
because <laughs> now you have a team that you know they they hire Hitchcock, they make a little bit of a, of a move up the standings, and they fall back. Um, and now you have reports, courtesy of Ramershag of TSN, that uh, every scout, every hockey person, every, all two hundred hockey men in the organization have been sent out to find that mystical forward that will change the fortunes of the team's secondary scoring. Although who needs it now? I mean, Lucic scored two goals, so obviously uh, the secondary scoring has been solved. Um, <clears throat> apparently, Jesse Puliarvi, uh, the Oilers' uh, first-round pick and most likely goaltender Cam Talbot are all in play. Um, the idea that Peter Chiarelli is uh, able to uh, make a trade at this point is is almost as scary as the idea that he's still allowed, allowed around a phone like just they should do the, the Trump thing and just take his phone away from him and not allow him to talk to any other GMs ever. Um, but this is a team that's right there. Uh, they're right on the cusp of being a wild card team despite all of this. Um, but I guess we have to wait and see exactly what the next uh, shoot a drop is going to be insofar as them bolstering the team with this general manager that just seems to want to overcompensate every time he makes a trade. You know, I've been thinking a bit about this of what offensive players are they going to acquire? And of course, you know, the big prize, I think, of this trade deadline class is Wayne Simmons. Um, yeah. he, he's a guy who will do well in the West as he can get his big body in front of the net, la di la di la. Couldn't you see them making a move for Patrick Maroon? Because the last time we saw Patrick Maroon really thrive, it was playing alongside Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. He'll come at the cheap of the St. Louis Blues. He's not oh, in a great he's year. Quite available. <laughs> quite available. And he loves it in Edmonton. I could really, I, I could see that being one of the small moves that they make. There are two guys that I kind of have my eye on, and, and both are, are expiring contracts. Uh, Gustav Nyquist from the Detroit Red Wings, I think, mm-hmm. is this type of finisher that the Oilers should be looking at to play with Connor. Um, and, and honestly, anybody that plays with Connor, you know, should do quite well. Then you have the Vancouver Canucks, who I'm, I'm really, you know, the more I look at Vancouver, the more impressed I am. Like I, I had, I was on a, a Vancouver station uh, recently, and they were asking me who's better set up <clears throat> for the future. Is it the Edmonton Oilers or the, is it the Vancouver Canucks? And immediately you used to say, well, of course it's Edmonton. They've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But the more you look at it and you think about the DNA of a contending team in the National Hockey League, what do you need? Well, you need a center. They have Bo Horvat, who's a great center. You need a couple of, of, you know, dynamic wingers and, 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 and Brock Besser, we obviously know what he's capable of. And now with Elias Pettersson, you have basically the most transformative winger to enter the league since Ovechkin. I mean, I, I would argue that this is the Ovechkin effect all over again, where a guy comes on a team and not only is he performing on the ice, but he's, he's changing the entire trajectory of the franchise at the same time. You need a franchise level defenseman. I think Quinn Hughes could be that. And you need a goaltender. And they've been grooming Thatcher Demko for, I, I think, for the last 20 years <laughs> to be their goaltender of the future by my count. So, Which is weird because he was three at the time. It was three at the time. But, you know, scouting being what it is, you know, yeah. they knew. So I look at Vancouver and I say to myself, wow, there, there's something there. Um, you know, the, the upper management obviously thought they could make the Herculean leap, leap that the uh, Avalanche and Devils made last season, uh, this season. And, and I would argue that, you know, being 47 points in 47 games isn't exactly a Herculean leap, um, but it's pretty darn good. Uh, they are a stand pat team if I ever saw one outside of, you know, shedding your Michael Delzados and whomever at the deadline. To me, the future is not now. The future is the future. Get get these kids a taste of a playoff race uh, and then address your needs later on. And, and hopefully, you know, 
it, it comes down to, you know, it comes out that Alex Edler wants to be a part of that future and agrees to a new deal so you don't have to deal with the deadline. Um, because I think he's an important guy moving forward for them. But, but Vancouver is, is I'm frankly jealous. Like they're, they're so loaded for the next 10 years. And at the same time, they're in a playoff race right now. Like it, it, it Matt, listen to, they went just went from having the Sedines to now basically having another era start the minute those two Swedes left. That's frankly unfair to be quite, quite honest with you. It is quite impressive, and I will say this. They're not spending nearly close to the cap, but they don't have any bad contracts on the books. Uh, their biggest weakness right now is defense by far. Um, as you mentioned, Alex Edler becomes a UFA this summer, but they also get rid of Michael Dolzato's contract. They don't really have any other bad contracts, uh, especially when it comes to Demon. Tanev's there for two years at 4.45 mil. Uh, they got... God, Branson. I can never pronounce his name right. There's too many vowels. Good, good Branson. Yeah, there's too sure. many consonants in that name. Consonants, yeah. vowels. Can't handle it, guys. Uh, but he's at a pretty reasonable rate for the next three years. And, and it doesn't look bad. So as long as I can get some young D-men into the mix, I think you're right. Uh, this is a team that's ready to contend. And really, the only two bad contracts are the two panic moves I felt they made this summer to get veteran help, which is Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel. <laughs> Who both have limited no trade clauses. Jay Beagle got trade protection. I'm never going to get over that. Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logos and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all of their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar for dollar match for all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically no caps no signups redeem your rewards in any amount at any time and they never expire with all that extra cash you can treat yourself to centerized seats at the game your favorite player's jersey or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on try it and believe it at discover.com slash nhl only for new card members limitations apply all right there's another team in the other conference that we have many questions about and luckily, we have an expert to join us and tell us all about them. He's Marty Biron on the Buffalo Sabres and goaltending in general. Marty Biron is uh, one of our favorite people. Of course, you know him as a studio analyst for the Buffalo Sabres on MSG. He's also one of the infamous instigators as well. And we wanted to have you on to talk about the Sabres. Now, there was a theory at one point, Marty, that the Sabres might have, quote, banked enough points where if they hit the skids like they have recently, they might still be okay. But as we do the podcast, not so okay. Outside playoff picture looking in, what's your take on, on what's happened with the Sabres recently and uh, your, your confidence level that they might be able to turn it back around? Well, my confidence level is not as high as it was last week because I looked at last week and I'm saying, oh, you know, they had played, you know, a few tough opponents and, you know, they battled with Florida and finally beat the Florida Panthers, a team that they could never beat, right? Roberto Luongo always did great against the Sabres and, and James Reimer the same. So I'm thinking, oh, finally, you beat the Florida Panthers. They had a tough stretch where, you know, they had to play Carolina, who was, you know, had won five out of six at that point. The Tampa Bay Lightning, who were 17-1-1 before playing the Sabres in their last, you know, 19 games. So I'm looking at this as, Okay, that's going to be tough, but then you go out in Western Canada and things can be good. You can beat the Oilers, and, and who knows what's going to happen against Calgary. But, you know, you get you get beat pretty bad 7-2 against the Oilers, and now my confidence level is down because I'm not seeing the one save 
that Carter Hutton or Lena Solmark was making at the start of the season. So even if the Sabres were down 3-1 in the game, they would make that one or two saves in the game that would say, oh, the Sabres are still in it, and then slowly but surely they would get back in the game, win it in OT, win it in a shootout, whatever. But the goalies were making that one save. So that's not happening, and the power play has slipped, where the power play in you know, late November, early December was, was on the upswing, really generating some good looks. Uh, you had two good units, especially the Jack Eichel unit, but still – uh, now that's not happening. So you give up one too many goal and you don't score that power play goal, you're a minus two in that situation and you end up losing a lot of games. So that's that's where my, my confidence is not as high as it, as it could be because of those two things. Mm-hmm. Marty, I know you pay specific and special attention to goalies and Carter Hutton's going through a rough stretch and Bill Housley said Tuesday, it's not just him, it's everyone around him, but what specifically do you see in his game that's troublesome? I see that he slides a lot. So what I mean sliding is, you know, a goalie that's six foot four, six foot five doesn't have to move laterally into a shot uh, to get his body behind that shot 100%. He can just react, right? Use his arms, use his leg, and usually you don't have to move a whole lot. Well, Carter Hutton is not, you know, six foot four. He's a six foot, maybe six foot one goalie. And now I'm seeing that. Every time there's a shot, he seems to want to slide into that shot. So he's getting beat a lot on deflections because he's really guessing like a soccer goalie, like the puck's going to my blocker side, I'm going to slide that way, and all of a sudden it deflects. You know, even if it's 10 feet in front of him, he can't recover on that. Um, he's had a lot of hard, a hard time with the, the plays around the net because he's sliding a lot. He makes a save, then he slides into his post, then he goes to the other post, He's always on his knees, um, and I, I, I like to think that you know you work on your basics, you work on your structure, you go back to being on your feet in practice so that those habits come with you in the games, but I'm not seeing that out of Carter Hutton. And the other thing, too, is, listen, I played with Henrik Lundqvist, and Henrik Lundqvist was probably the worst goaltender at staring his defenseman down when they were making a mistake or if they, you know, it went off of them. And, but Hank, he's the king. Listen, he's a fiery type, type guy, and he's one of Vesna trophies, so maybe he's earned that, that spot where he can, you know, eyeball a defenseman. Well, I've seen Carter do that a couple of times, and I know Carter's a leader on this team, uh, but sometimes it comes across in a, as a negative. So I, I don't love that body language uh, of a goaltender, but, listen, Carter Hutton's played well with St. Louis, played well in Nashville, had a really good start to the season. He's a veteran, so I think he can turn it around, but he's going to have to clean a couple of things. Yeah, essentially, it comes down to holding people accountable, which is a good dovetail to my next question, which is about Phil Housley. Now, I had some questions about Housley as a head coach last year. I mean, I think he's a brilliant assistant. What he did in Nashville is, is unimpeachable. Got that defense playing extraordinarily well. My question is, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were great, and everybody was like, Housley's going to win the Jack Adams. Now that the team is sliding, do you feel that Phil Housley has maybe held enough people on this roster accountable during this midseason swoon? Do you think he has that ability as a head coach, or is he too nice a guy? I, I think he's trying, and I think there's <laughs> a lot of Phil Housley that we're not seeing behind closed door where he gets to be fiery, um, mm-hmm. and he's, he's had his message 
uh, you know, bounced off a few walls in that locker room before. Uh, you know, first game of the season, they lose 4 nothing to Boston. And his first words in that press conference after the game was, we're not going through this again. This is not going to be the way we're going to start this season. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to accept this type of game, this type of effort, which I loved. I'm like, hey, he's, he's putting it on the players. you got to be accountable. You're home opener against a team that had lost, what, 6 nothing the night before to the Washington Capitals. They're going to come in and you're going to lose for nothing. That's not going to happen. And the players responded with a couple of wins right after that. And then they went on the West Coast and got three out of five games over there. And, and it was good. Now I'm not seeing the same, the same fire, the same passion, in, even on the bench or in the media. Maybe he doesn't have to. He doesn't owe us anything when it comes to showing us through colors. But, you know, the message has is, is gone back to a little bit what it was last season. Like, well, you know, we're working hard. We need to clean up a few things. We can't turn the puck over. We have to manage the puck better. Well, those are words, right? And I, I, I've not seen the actions uh, from a lot of those players lately. So what does Phil do? We have a, a young defenseman here in Buffalo, Lawrence Pilot. Well, he had a bad turnover against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was taken out of the lineup against the Edmonton Oilers. So there's, okay, well, it's a lot easier to do it to a rookie in his yeah. first year pro in North America as opposed to do it to, uh, you know, a guy that, that got more years of experience. And I know a lot of the fans here in Buffalo are all over Marco Scandella for the last few games, but oh, I think, yeah. you know, Marco's got some good hockey in him, but maybe there is a message to be sent that I'm not going to accept, you know, careless turnovers and and you know miss coverage and even if it's just for one game you know we he'll be back in the lineup but we're not seeing that and maybe that's the way he wants to coach which is fine all right one last thing on the sabers trade deadlines coming up what do you expect them to be buyers or sellers and will jeff skinner sign an extension with the buffalo sabers and remain jack eichel's wingman for years to come I think Jeff Skinner will resign with the Buffalo Sabres. And listen, I have no insider information. I, it's a gut feeling for me. Uh, but he's not allowed to sign an eight-year extension until after the deadline. So right. I think there'll be, you know, obviously some conversation with the Buffalo Sabres as to, you know, are we going to get this done and where is the money going to be uh, uh, for maybe a seven-year extension, an eight-year extension. But if I'm Jeff Skinner and I'm having the best year of my career, and if I'm the Buffalo Sabres and I found a left winger to play with Jack Eichel, um, I think we're all looking at an eight-year deal. Let's try to lock him up long-term. Let's try to see if that can make the, uh, the, 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 the cap number maybe a little less because you're stretching it over eight years. Uh, but these two are, are fantastic together, so I would want them to be together here in Buffalo for the next eight years. Uh, for the fans and for the organization, that would be great. Now, I don't think the Sabres will be a buyer or a seller at the trade deadline. I think they'll stay the course. And that's maybe boring, and maybe that's Jason Bottrell because he's he's a very, you know, uh, smart guy, and and he's not an emotional guy anyway um, out in the media or out in public. So I think he'll just, you know, sit in his chair, see what's out there, make the phone calls, but I don't expect them to go out and swing for the fence uh, on a rental or say, hey, we're going to trade three of our guys to try to get one asset. They've got possibly three first-round picks coming up this year. I yeah. think they want to draft and develop. They don't want to trade first-round picks. They, they value them and 
So I don't think, and maybe the fans in Buffalo here are not going to like what I'm saying, but I don't think they'll be very active at the deadline, and that's just my my opinion on it. I'm I'm team trade trade your stuff in in June. Like I I don't think the deadline yeah. does them any good. Like they've got so many assets, they're going to have a lot of cap space. You're going to be able to do some really interesting things in June if you just hold off and and keep those uh, those assets close to your chest. All right, last thing you were telling us before we we started recording that your uh your, your son has a hockey game in Buffalo tonight, but it's an outdoor game. Yeah, it's uh, actually it's the uh, all the, the the cooling system and. Uh, um, all that equipment that the NHL used for the very first um, winter classic here in Buffalo between the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Sabres. So my town that I live in, I live in Aurora, New York, and that's five, ten minutes from Orchard Park where the Bills play. So they bought that equipment, and the first few years it was a true outdoor rink. No roof. It was just if it snowed, it snowed. If it rained, it rained. You just played. Well, a few years later, they you know raised some funds, put a roof on it. Then they finished third, I believe, in Hockeyville, USA, and got some money for that as well. So they built a lodge, built some locker rooms, but it's still a true outdoor rink. It's open on all four sides. It has a roof. Um, so when it's 15 degrees outside, 10 degrees outside, and you're standing as a parent on the on the on the board there to watch a game. It's pretty cold, so uh, the players don't seem to bother much by it. You know, they got some heat on the bench and all of that, and they can always go back in the locker room and heat up. But uh, us parents, we we paid a price for uh, for sitting on the wall there, so uh, it's going to be a cold night, that's for sure. Do you and the other parents tailgate at all? Do you do some fireball shots before the game just to kind of get your no, system in order? Sure, there are some parents that have a coffee, right? They have their, like, coffees, and I'm pretty sure it's not straight coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I just hang out there. But I can smell it around little, you know, Bailey's, little Fireball, whatever, little Jack Daniels. It, I, I can smell it around. Hopefully not all three in one cup. Oh, yeah, not not all three in one cup, although that, it is Buffalo, and I've seen that. Uh, Marty, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you later in the season, bud. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks to Marty Biron, uh, who was a pretty good NHL goalie in his day. But our attention is drawn now, Emily, to another NHL goaltender, name of Sergei Bobrovsky. So this was a pretty crazy story, uh, the fact that Sergei Bobrovsky was kind of suspended, but not really for a game. And everybody couldn't figure out why. Um, and the team wasn't talking about it. And the players weren't talking about it. And John Tortorella wasn't talking about it, which is really the, the dumbest thing you can do because then the entirety of the internet started speculating on what he could have done to earn this basically one game suspension from the Blue Jackets. Well, it, it turns out that all he did was, um, he was pulled from a game against Tampa Bay Lightning last Tuesday. Then he went to the dressing room, started peeling off his gear with 11 minutes left in the game. So keep in mind he's been pulled. Uh, and so instead of being on the bench with his teammates while his replacement finishes the game, um, Bobrovsky basically hit the showers and didn't return to the bench. So the super pissed off Tortorella, the super pissed off the team leadership, and uh, and so Bobrovsky 
received this kind of quasi not really uh, suspension from the Blue Jackets and then uh, returned uh, to the team. And um, so that was the deal. And and I guess this is just another step towards the inevitable, Emily, which is that Sergei Bobrovsky will not return to the Columbus Blue Jackets and they're going to have to really figure out what they're going to do with him at the trade deadline. The relationship just seems untenable at this point. And look, I feel for Yarmo Kikalainen. Like, he has not dealt a great position this year. You've got one star player. You finally got this, you know, generational t- goal scorer. I think we need to stop using generational. We use it for about half the guys in the league now. But Artemi <laughs> Panarin, who said, look, I don't know if I really want to stay here. Eh? I'm not really crazy about your city. And then you've got a two-time Vezina winner who's aging. He's getting up there in age. And you're trying to work out a deal. And he's like, look, I'm worth way more than that. This ain't going to work. And he's got to figure out what to do with both of them. That said, what Sergei Bobrovsky did was not team-oriented. It was a bit selfish. You know, he was in the moment. But they blew it out of proportion, as you said. They let everyone speculate. And as you mentioned, this Black Channel, they just threw him out to the wolves and, and let him twist with the wind yeah. as everyone speculated. And we all thought he was this evil monster. And it was just like, look, here's a competitor who just got heated up and, and went against protocol. It probably wasn't okay, but... It probably was worth nothing more than a stern talking to by a certain John Tortorella instead of this. It's a violation of team rules. It's not even on the level of what happened to like Evander Kane in Winnipeg. Like it's 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 kind of just a thing that happened. And and by not you know putting sunshine on it, you're just kind of like inviting all of this baseless speculation about how things went down. Now he's got a he's got a no move clause which means that you know he could stick around or you know maybe there's some convincing if they're just like hey you're not going to play again uh that he'll he'll you know wave it for for somebody um but for me where i'm sitting like I, the biggest thing for the blue jackets should be the postseason and i know there's going to be a lot of talk of like well you can't lose Bobrovsky for nothing and yada 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 the biggest po- the biggest concern for the blue jackets should be what can we do? What do we need to finally get past the first round as a franchise? If they think having Sergei Bobrovsky on this roster gives them the best chance to advance in the playoffs, keep him. Take your shot. Shoot your shot. You certainly aren't trading Panarin. Panarin's going to be here through and through whether he stays or whether he goes because if you trade him, then you're basically raising the white flag on your season and there's no, there's been no reason to do that this season. So if you think that keeping Bobrovsky on your roster gives you the best chance to win, well, by all means, go with God. I don't think it gives you the best chance to win. I think the best thing to do for this franchise right now is not have Sergei Bobrovsky appear in the playoffs. I think the best thing for this franchise right now is to have Corpusalo be your goaltender going forward, A, because Bob sucks in the playoffs, and B, because Corpusalo is going to be your guy anyway, so you might as well do what Tampa Bay did and turn the keys over to to the to the accomplished backup and trade the starter, and and you know if you can trade him because he's got the no move, so that's what I would do. Regardless, Here's my argument. Regardless of what you think you, you you think you need for the playoffs, I think that's the best course of action. But tell me why I'm wrong. My counter-argument is, look, this Corpusalo kid has been great. He's 24. He doesn't have a ton of experience. We don't know how he'll be in the playoffs. You look at Bobrovsky, what's really the market for him right now? I'm not sure it's great. Any team that's going to get him is probably a team that believes they're contending. Most of the teams that are contending have pretty set goaltending situations and don't want to give up a ton. Um, the biggest team thing for this team right now is finding a way to recruit their own free agent, and that's Artemi Panarin. They want to create the best situation, even if they don't get a commitment from him and his agent, Dan Melstein, that, look, we can have fun here. We can win here. 
I do think, despite his playoff history, Sergei Bobrovsky gives you the best chance to win. So I think you keep both of them to the end of the season, even though you might let them both walk, because that's the best recruiting pitch you can give Panarin, and that's really the best chance this team has to win long term. Listen, as as often as I do in life, Emily, I'm thinking about what's best for the Blue Jackets. Not a day goes by where I don't think about how I, in my own life, can help the Blue Jackets. So my thought is that having Corpusello as their goaltender now and in the playoffs undoubtedly helps them in the future. The Bobrovsky thing is is now kind of veering into the uh, is this a toxic situation lane and uh, and I wonder if there and there might not even be a way to get rid of him. Maybe he's just going to be kind of a, a jerk about it and not want to wave his no move and stick around as long as he wants. Who's to say? Um, so we'll see about it going forward. But it's a it's a situation worth monitoring for sure. Um, but you know they'll be fine. Uh, one team that was in the Eastern Conference playoff picture for a minute, but has has kind of fallen off a little bit, and by that I mean a lot of bit was the New York Rangers, and Emily caught up with defense and Mark Stahl to talk about the Rangers, talk about uh, Lundqvist. What did you guys talk about? Talked about the rebuild and how we felt about when the letter came out and just, you know, life with his brothers. There you go. Stahl brother talk. Here's Mark Stahl. You're the second longest tenured New York Ranger player besides Henrik Lundqvist. What do you think when you hear that? Uh, I think... Uh... Just that I've been fortunate enough to, to play uh, on the same team for for as long as I have, and uh, been very lucky in that regard. And to be able to play for an organization like the Rangers is uh, is pretty cool. So um, yeah, just uh, yeah, just very very humble, very fortunate, uh, you know, to, to be able to do that, to uh, play for this organization for that long. I'm curious, your brother Eric had a renaissance year last year, 42 goals in his age 33 season. In your conversations with him, what do you think was the biggest reason for him to be able to find that second gear, and what did you learn from that? Uh, no, I think um, I think he just went into the right situation. I think he, uh, you know, he he's always been a very talented, successful player in the league, and I think he, he got into a a team and a, and a coach uh, that put a lot of trust and belief in him, and uh, that kind of translated into his confidence. and And, and he just had a ended up having a huge year. And um, you know, I wasn't. I don't think it was very surprising to the people that were close to him, but um, definitely, you know, been an eye opener for some for some other people that um, um, maybe thought he was on uh, on a downward trail, but uh, wasn't very surprising to us. So your brothers are really close, I understand. Do you guys all have lake houses in the same lake, is that right, over the summer? Yeah, we all we're all neighbors actually. So we get we're all within you know, fifty feet of each other, so um it's pretty it's it's a pretty special place in the summer, all our kids running back and forth and uh it's pretty chaotic but uh for, you know, two and a half months of the year it's uh uh it's a great place to be. I'm assuming there's some element of training. Which one of you brothers leads it in the gym? Uh, I mean, we're all pretty good. So we all kind of just guilt each other into doing it every day. Usually one guy or, or someone's not feeling it that day, and, and one guy's got to step up and push. And uh, we've been pretty successful at uh, at doing that. And I'd, I'd say Jordan's actually the one who probably gets us going the most. He's always 
he's always usually raring to go. So uh, I just try to follow his lead and, uh, and we go from there. It was four boys running around when you guys were little. What's one of the meanest things you did to one of your brothers or your brothers did to you? Oh, uh, uh, I mean, we, we had a, we had an outdoor rink when we grew up. So we, we, we skated outside a lot. So we played a lot of games like two on two and stuff. And, uh, um, they would get heated and get a little competitive. And, um, you know, I remember either, either, I think actually my, my youngest brother, he, he tomahawked a stick at me a few times trying to let be running off the ice and he just <laughs> throw it over the boards <laughs> right in my head. So we, we had a few of those, a few of those moments, but we, we, we mostly self regulated each other because we were the only ones out there. So, um, my mom would just make us figure it out. And uh, generally, but generally we actually played pretty well together, but uh, in those moments, yeah, that was probably the, um, the biggest rift. So now you guys run a foundation together and it raises money for families and children battling cancer. Can you describe a little bit about what you guys do and why this is so personal for you? Yeah, so we, it's, it's pretty young. I think we've been doing it for five, six years now. Um, We've been raising money mostly just locally in in the Thunder Bay area for uh, you know cancer treatment and uh, in that area because a lot of times we're, we're we're pretty secluded in Thunder Bay and, and a lot of people have to travel to Toronto or Ottawa to get proper treatment and um, you know one of our goals is to, to help families kind of stay local close to close to family if they're going through something uh, like that and. Um, you know, I think everyone in our family has been touched by the disease in some some way, and we all have small kids now. And um, to see parents and families going through um, hardships like that um, with small children um, battling that disease, and uh, we just want to be uh, part of helping, um, you know, make it easier and 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 striving for a cure. Your contract expires after the 2020-21 season. Can you ever imagine yourself wearing a different sweater? Uh, you know, it, it is hard. I mean, obviously, because I've been here for so long. So yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't picture myself in another in another uniform. Um, so I mean, you know, obviously, um, a lot of years left, a lot of hockey left, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. But. Um, uh, I've loved every minute of wearing a Ranger jersey and, uh, you know, I don't plan on putting a, a different one on. What's one thing David Quinn does that's different than any other coach you've ever had? Uh, I think just in the way uh, he coached the details of of just individual one-on-one play on the ice. You know, I think he's very um, detailed in where your stick is, where your positioning is, where um you know your feet are turned things like that where uh maybe you don't really look you know never really looked at before or thought about on the ice to to helping you in in different situations i think that's as a head coach uh, that's probably the probably the biggest thing all right and the last thing for you you've played with henrik lundquist for a long time what's one thing you know about henrik that fans don't know that might surprise them one thing i don't know um, he does love uh, uh, burgers on the road. I know that much. Burgers. He'll eat a, he'll, he'll eat a cheeseburger 
on every night of the week, I think. So that's probably the probably the one thing. Maybe and he, he probably already said it, but um, that's definitely one thing. He loves his cheeseburgers. Well, I find that very encouraging. I did not know that, so good. You can have that hair <laughs> and eat all that grease. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, I appreciate it. Best of luck the rest of the year. All right, thank you very much. All right, thanks to uh, Mark Stahl, the Rangers, uh, for uh, for those uh, moments. And uh, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. You know, there are some weeks when we do Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, our segment that looks at the foibles of the hockey media. When it might be a, you know, a bad take, or it might be a Canadian writer getting all huffy, it might be Mark Spector writing about how Milan Lucic is now once again worth the money for the 19th time in the last 17 months, um, and then until he's not worth the money. But this time, I'm Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. We have maybe the Citizen Kane of the segment. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> Sam Carcitti is a, uh, a, a hockey writer. He writes, of course, for, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Daily News, veteran scribe. Um, and this week had a moment that still shocks me, quite frankly, <laughs> that it occurred. So somebody photoshopped, uh, a tweet that allegedly came from uh, at TSN Hockey, so TSN's hockey Twitter feed, and it uh, read trade alert exclamation point. The Edmonton Oilers have traded goaltender Cam Talbot and forward Jesse Pulviarvi to the Philadelphia Flyers for forward Wayne Wayne Simmons. Stay tuned to TSN for more information about this trade. No punctuation. Now, when you look at this tweet, a couple of things really stand out for you. The first is that the font on the tweet is significantly smaller than the font you find on literally every other tweet that's ever been created. The second thing you think about is the fact that for whatever reason, there are no hashtags. Uh, there's nothing there that would indicate that this was created by the social media team that normally creates the TSN tweets. The other thing that really stands out is the fact that it's clearly been altered in the sense that the the word that the handle tsn hockey is faded by the eraser tool used to create this photoshop it's clear as day there's nothing about this image that would indicate that it is in any way a real image and yet sam carcitti found it to be so genuine and accurate that he not only took it to be real he then took it to management with the philadelphia flyers to ask them about the trade for which he was then told this is a fabrication <laughs> there's absolutely nothing true about this now normally if the story ended here it'd be wow that was kind of embarrassing but then he went on a crusade against people like the venerable bob mckenzie of tsn claiming that the, quote, TSN post from today uh, appeared as such and tweeted him the, the image I just described, and then apparently it was taken down a few minutes later. 
which isn't true at all because TSN Hockey never tweeted this. And you can't call it a post because it never existed as an article. Bob, to his credit, tried to talk him down from the ledge and, you know, said you've been duped and yada, yada, yada. But, of course, the damage was done and the entirety of the Internet was now dunking on Sam Carcitti. My favorite one by far, I think Emily and mine had it was the same favorite one. A guy took a, a picture of Claude Giroux and then used uh, the paint tool in Photoshop to write, Flyers trade Giroux to sharks for stuff, hyphen at TSN. And said, Sam, there's some breaking news for you here. Aww. Now, I understand that Carcitti's kind of salty about this. I'm sure he's pissed at, at, at people like me for having a good laugh about it. And I understand that a lot of people are very protective of journalists at this time because there is so much hashtag fake news being bandied about around the trade deadline. And I'm trying to say this as delicately I can as I can. But you have to be a total moron to believe that this was real. A total moron. It is one of the cheapest. It is, it is a worse fabrication than the juked by Chronics website that Stephen Glass created in the movie Shattered Glass. It is something that my eight-year-old could have seen through. And all she does is watch YouTube videos about Roblox. It is one of the single worst things I've seen from the hockey media in years. And it why became a thing this week. Why do people create these fake accounts like the fake Elliot Friedman who like reported today that Derek Broussard was traded to the Rangers for our temp, uh, Blackhawks for our temp and needs them all. And you're like, oh, maybe he did. And then you, you realize it's bogus. Like, why do they do it? I... I, they do it because they know that people are going to be sloppy like this. And yeah, I am saying that there's a certain responsibility journalists have to take to not get duped by this thing. If you are retweeting the Elliot Friedman thing and you click on Elliot Friedman's name and you see he has 25 followers, may sandwich Elliot Friedman. Yes. And literally a bologna sandwich. This is a cover photo, which I found kind of ironic. So, so people are always asking me, Greg, why are you so hard on your peers? Why do you do these things to then get yelled at at the PHWA meetings? And I always respond the same way, and I will respond in kind now. So we don't do this anymore. So we don't look like morons. And when we stop looking like morons, then people will stop creating photoshops to try to bait us into looking like morons. And especially when the moronic thing can be corrected so easily by like two seconds of, of research or even five minutes of thinking about it. So that's I why that I say is, these things. I love that this is your cause, Celebrate. Someone's it might say be. it. I mean, some, some people, some people back charities, rescue dogs, try to eradicate Alzheimer's. Mine is trying to get sports writers to stop falling for, for fake tweets. And I, and, and maybe, maybe it's not worthy of a telethon. But it's at least worthy of a GoFundMe, which I'm, of course, we'll be setting up after the show. All right. It's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Retirement. Rick Nash retires after a stellar NHL career. An absolute megastar with the Columbus Blue Jackets, leading the league in goals one season. The big trade of the New York Rangers, kind of an up-and-down existence with the Rangers. All of it, obviously, affected by a series of concussions in his career. Retires way too soon. Uh, truly a good guy. Truly a, a remarkably good goal scorer in this league. 
and uh, a shame that it had to end this way. It really is. Um, and and you, you saw it coming. And one day I hope that he's open and honest maybe about some of the symptoms that he has to deal with because I think it could be educational and instructive to players. For sure. And I'm, I'll also say this about Rick Nash, and I mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, maybe the first guy that ever, uh, first NHL player that ever made me feel like a human being in doing this job. Aww. It was my first year at Yahoo. I was uh, writing for Puck Daddy. I, I went out and covered um, the making of uh, the, the new 2K Sports hockey game, just to date myself because I don't even make hockey games anymore. Classic. Um, yeah, I know. And, and Rick Nash was the cover athlete. And, and me and Nash kind of sat down and we... You know, shot the breeze. He's he's sitting down in the mocap suit with the little balls on it. They're they're gonna you know capture his uh, moves and stuff, and was just a tremendously good dude and uh, and uh, you know uh, very uh, cordial and forthcoming. And through the years, whenever we'd see each other, be somebody who was always uh, you know asking you questions beyond the uh, the, the stuff you're just asking him about the hockey and whatever. Uh, genuinely great guy, solid family man. Um, and uh, there could be no better evidence of that than making this decision to walk away from the game that he loves, uh, so he can spend uh, time with his family and and uh, and and concentrate on his health. Dateline Snoop D O Double G, the L A Kings invited Snoop Dogg into their broadcast booth, and the results were epic. Hands up! Oh, watch oh. out! Oh, he stole on him. He fired on Cub. Hold on now. Oh, get it cracking in. Let's go. Snoop Dogg in the house. Let me see some. Drop the sticks, man. Let's get cracking, man. To the middle of the ring. Let's go. Number three wanted. I like that. Who is number three for us? Dion's foot up. Dion, go get cracking, Dion. Yeah, go get him, Dion. Get him, Dion. Move, Dion. Get out the way. Go get him. Go go. get him. Still, still charring with him. A little chirping. Okay, right, right. I like that. So when they do get into a competition like that, the referee has the the, the sole control power to say, y'all not going to fight, right? Mm. They can tell you that. You don't have to listen. Well, they listen right there. Yeah, yeah. See the big boys get in, the linesmen. Those guys have the toughest job. Okay, all right, all right. So that was just mushing going on. It was more mushing than yeah, fighting. Yeah. Face wash. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Those gloves are stinky. That's why I love this sport, man. That's why I love this, because you got to be a 100% man to play this, man. Less mushing, more cracking. That's what we need in this game. You couldn't tell it by that clip, but there were some pockets of his play-by-play where he was really good, and it reminded me of like taking a friend to a hockey game for the first time and seeing what they <laughs> noticed. Like the way he described someone getting kicked out of the face-off circle was incredible. It, it honestly deserves some kind of broadcasting word. He doesn't get it. Get the next guy in. It was amazing. Speaking of that, uh, we want to throw the power, the full power of ESPN and Ice behind the campaign to replace Pierre Maguire with Snoop Dogg. Uh, I don't know about the feasibility of it. I don't even know if he would be interested in the gig. Uh, but uh, anything that we can do to make that happen, to go from the guy who is just spouting off trivia during the game to a guy saying, come on, get cracking, Dion. I mean, we clearly, clearly support that. Also, as we move forward with things like concussion prevention, I feel like uh, Snoop could be a, a leading voice in the uh, benefits of medicinal marijuana for the mm. NHL as well. Yeah. For sure. Um, Finally, Dateline the White House. Clemson, uh, Clemson's national uh, championship football team uh, was greeted with uh, stacks of cold fast food items when they went to the White House. Emily, which NHL team would most appreciate this orgy of garbage food if they won the cup and went to the White House? Well, there's only one correct answer and obvious answer here, and that's the team that just won and inexplicably has not been to the White House yet because they live 
only a couple miles away, and that's the Washington Capitals, who seem to drink anything in sight and probably would be fine with fast food, considering their captain chugs Coke between periods and eats chicken parmesan with heavy fettuccine Alfredo before games. I would I would tend to agree. Um, however, I will say that um, if the Penguins won again, one absolutely fascinated by what choice Sydney would make as far as what his fast food is. Like if you put every fast food item in front of Sydney Crosby, wouldn't you be fascinated to see if like, is it a filet of fish? Is it a filet of fish without the bun? Is it a burger? Is it pizza? Is it Taco Bell? Like I am genuinely, cause I'm, I'm convinced he's never actually eaten Tim Hortons. Like he's appeared in the commercials, but I'm not quite sure he's ever had it. And then the other thing obviously too is, I mean, the minute Phil walks into a room and every fast food item imaginable is in front of Phil, like, does everybody just kind of stand back? <laughs> does he start, does he start spinning around like the Tasmanian devil and just start, there's wrappers flying everywhere and boxes flying everywhere? Like, we all want to see that, don't we? He's only there for the hot dogs. That's true. And, and as far as I can tell, they didn't go to, uh, uh, uh Sonic. Um, the only correct Finally, answer for Sid, by the way, is a filet of that? fish without a bun and a fork and knife. You're probably right. Uh, you know, uh, I tend to gravitate to the, uh, fish items. You know, I like to head over to Long John Silver's now and again for some nuggets and, uh, big fan of tartar sauce. Maybe my favorite condiment. Now it's time for the ESPN and Ice rant line. Um, and I understand from producer Ryan, we have like a bunch of them to listen to this week. So let's get at it. Emily and Greg, this is your favorite Gloom and Doom Jackets fan back again. And uh, why is Artemi Panarin still in a Columbus Blue Jacket jersey? Yeah, he's playing well this year. But realistically, this team doesn't have a chance to win a cup. What's the point? There's no way they can beat Washington. There's no way they could beat Pittsburgh in a series. Winnipeg, Nashville would both run them out the building. Tampa, Toronto, Boston, all teams that would beat Columbus. Bob's having an inconsistent year, to put it the nicest way possible. This is the youngest team in the NHL. Shot Panarin, get something out of him. What do I know? I'm just a fan. With that said, hope you all keep doing great work on the podcast, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Listen, you got to be in it to win it. And, and like I said before, you, you can trade Bob and you still have a goalie. If you trade Panarin, you don't have another Panarin. And I know that there is a lot of pessimism, and I know the idea is, well, you know, the Blue Jackets can't beat such and such and so-and-so. But if they're a playoff team, they got a shot. And you never know what's going to happen. You can catch lightning in a bottle with the goalie that actually can win in the playoffs. But you're not going to catch lightning in the bottle and be a contender of any any stripes if you don't have Artemi Panarin on that roster. I keep him and pray that, and it's the other thing too, Emily. Like, they go on a long playoff run. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. Maybe he gets the Steven Stamkos unfinished business bug and decides to stay with Columbus. That's my whole point. I think the entire year should just be used as a recruiting pitch for him. And there's no worse recruiting pitch than saying, yeah, we're giving up on the season. Because they do have a chance at him. They really do. Right. All right. Let's hear our next rant. Hi, Greg and Emily. This is Marissa calling from Las Vegas, and my rant is about all of the people who pay however many hundreds or thousands of dollars to sit right next to the ice and proceed to bang on the glass the entire time. 
It does nothing to the players. All it is is annoying for us watching on TV or even sitting around you. All you're doing is banging on the glass. You have the best seats in the house right next to the ice, and you are wasting it by banging on the glass. It is so annoying. Okay, that was my rant. Thank you. You have uh, any thoughts on glass bangers, Emily? I just think it's ironic that the person from Las Vegas finds that is their biggest issue with people next to the ice, not the women with large feather peacock costumes <laughs> that are standing <laughs> right. there behind to distract the goalies during warm-ups. But, right. uh, yeah, I've <laughs> never seen this as a big issue. I'd be curious to ask players if they do notice it or not. I tend to think that they, they do see the outside noise. I don't think it distracts them from the game, but it's in the periphery. Well, I think uh, what you also have to take into account, what I think a lot of the glass bangers don't take into account, is what happens when hands touch glass. Hands that have been eating, say, oh, I don't know, nachos or pizza or a burger. Those hands make the glass dirty. Now, who cleans that glass? Certainly not the fans banging on it. No, that falls to the ice crew. And so think about that, glass bangers. When you're glomming down those nachis, when you've got those chili fries all over your fings, and you're slapping them against the glass, somebody has to come through with a rag after the game to clean up your mess. And and what happened? Nothing. You didn't distract the players. You didn't do anything. You're very happy you got on camera, I know. But was it worth it? for having to make somebody spend an extra 15 minutes after the game to try to scrape off the dried chili from that glass because you slapped your hands on it. This has been a public service announcement from ESPN and Ice. What's our last rant? The blues are good again. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Well, there, you, it wasn't so much a rant, Emily, as it was a, a cry for help. <laughs> It's definitely trying to tell us something. So I, I feel that pain. I feel that pain because inevitably it's probably going to end in disappointment, right? Like it's a grand tease of some sort. Sure, and then they're not going to make the grand moves like trading Alex Pietrangelo, and the fans are going to get all upset. They have the same exact roster next year, and so be it. If you want to reach us on the rant line, and of course you really should, it's eight six zero five one six ten twenty nine. It's eight six zero five one six one zero two nine. Rants. And also, I guess, laments. Uh, rant line sounds better than lament line, but I guess we also get our, our share of laments. All right. It's ESPN and Ice this week. Uh, enjoy your time in Seattle. Um, it sounds like a heck of a time. You said you had sushi. Delicious. Melt-in-your-mouth sushi. Mm-hmm. Did you have sushi because the name of the team is going to be a fish? Maybe. I was trying to will it into it. Mm-hmm. But not sockeyes because too violent um or maybe it'll be sock guys who's to say uh who's to say all right you can find my stuff at espn.com and you can find me at washinsky w-y-s-h-y-n-s-k-a on twitter you can listen to my other podcast with uh, ryan lambert and uh sean uh down goes brown make make it do uh called puck soup that's the one where i curse and uh what about you at Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan and your public service announcement from me. If you made it to the end of the podcast this long, it means you like us. So you should review us and rate us and give us five stars on iTunes. Bye. Bye.